Uh, Tonight's reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and that's on page 1146 in the Church Bibles. That's on page 1146 in the Church Bibles again. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light to, to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. This is the word of the Lord. Very good evening to you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I don't know how you've been feeling this week, but I've spent quite a lot of time looking at the newspaper and actually finding myself uh, cracking up in tears. I I found it very traumatic the last nine days. Uh, But the one thing that has really helped is uh, God's Word. And um, the more we see these sort of problems, the more we need to lead on God's Word. So let's do that tonight as we look into his word. It's a short bit we're looking at, but there's lots to be gained from it. And uh, I've enjoyed the process. I've been up in Glasgow seeing my son, and I spent a couple of days going over the first draft. And then last, since we've been back a two weeks, I've been doing it more. And the more you think about it, a bit like Daniel was saying this morning uh, with the Good Samaritan, the more you, you go into the word, the more you realize what's coming out of it. So... We've only got five verses, but, uh, but let's, let's join it together and, uh, with me and see what we can get out of it. I'm just going to give a little bit of an overview. We've done three chapters. So what have we covered in the first three chapters? Paul has pointed out that members of the church of Corinth were still worldly. They argued over um, who they preferred to listen to, be it Apollos, Kephas, or Paul. He told then there should be no boasting or judging about which of the human leaders to follow. What was important was the message of Jesus Christ that had to be proclaimed. Paul defends the gospel. He taught in the face of severe criticism in Corinth. False teaching and worldly wisdom had encouraged power-hungry people to declare that Paul should not be trusted. Paul knew that he did not have to justify himself but he had to defend the gospel. How? As a servant of Christ. Last week, Andrew's excellent sermon to us covered the last six verses of chapter 3, and he was summed up by one phrase, God does not want the church to fall apart into painful divisions. And then he broke it down into reject what belongs to the world, appreciate what belongs to us, and remember that we belong to God. Very straightforward. 
I'm sure you all remembered that. I didn't need to repeat it. So before we start, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we have your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can look at it and study it together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just ask, Lord, that you will touch each of us today, improve us, draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1, I hope you've got your Bibles open. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries of God has revealed. Now the us refers back to chapter 3 verse 22 indicating Paul, Apollos, Kephas and by extension any other fellow workers in the church. When Paul said the word servants, what he actually wrote in the Greek was under rowers. That is, someone who rowed in the lowest part of a large ship. So when he said servants, he was thinking of someone rowing. Now, he's not here this evening, which is a bit of a pity, but the most famous rower we have here is Andy Butt. He rowed for Team GB for more than six years. And I'm sure he could tell us a thing or two about what it is to feel like rowing a boat. The second most famous person I can think of is Charlton Heston in Ben-Hur. When I was eight, I can remember going to the cinema and watching three and a quarter hours of Ben-Hur and being absolutely bowled over, taken into Jesus' time, how brutal the Romans were, and Ben-Hur slaving away in this slave ship. It was brutal. But when Paul is talking about under-rowers, he likens Christian ministry to something like that. It's a bit odd, isn't it? It was strenuous and hard. If you're in the bowels of a ship, you can't even see where you're going. You have to row in faith, faith in God. Christian ministers are first and foremost servants. Christian ministers are servants of Christ. They're called to serve men in Christ's name. They cannot serve people in a correct way unless they see themselves in the correct way, that is, as underers. God's servants or ministers are not called to be innovative, but obedient. Not charismatic, but faithful. God's underers were not in the limelight for self-glory. Often, nobody noticed them. They didn't exalt them or praise them. They did not expect accolades. They were behind the scenes, occupied in one main thing, keeping the boat moving, keeping the gospels being spread. God's under rowers had to trust the captain. God knew the direction they were going in and understood their purpose. He directed the ship's course. They had to row to the captain's beat. In that Ben-Hur, there were great scenes where the drum was going bonk, 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 and they were rowing away. I don't know why it stuck in my head so much, but I still remember it. They couldn't, therefore, be afforded to be distracted. They had to follow the beat that the captain set, and they had to row together in unison, all oars, rowing together. And that was what Paul was intimating by this word servant. They had a common purpose, a common goal. 
Now, in verse 2, Paul is stating that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. They must be good stewards. By judging the character and actions of someone, we need to use the correct measuring scale. Usually in this world, factors such as public opinion, charisma, personality, and other subjective measuring sticks are the main methods of judging others. Paul says God has totally different standards. By far the most important quality of a good steward is faithfulness and trustworthiness. He is entrusted with the gospel of Christ, and without faithfulness, he'll ruin the message. God wants his servants to be trustworthy, therefore. God wants Christian stewards to be consistently obedient to his word. God does not require brilliance, doesn't require superintelligence or popularity. Servanthood and stewardship go hand in hand. You can't have an unfaithful servant. You can't have an untrustworthy steward, can you? They're totally self-contradictory. So he goes on in verse 3 and 4, having set out the parameters of what a servant should be like, to explain to the Corinthian church, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. That's verse 3 and 4. Let me tell you a little story. Six people were blindfolded, and they were put in a room. It was totally dark. Just four or five minutes they were given, and they were to examine what was in the room. So they set about it, and they're all filling away, and, and at the end they're taken out, the door shut. It was sharp like a spear, says one. It felt like a rope. I had the rope in my hands. It was like a snake. It wrapped round me. It was round my tummy. It was a big wall. I put my hands against it. It was quite rough. No, it waved back and forth. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. It was an elephant. But they had all looked at different parts. They had all examined it and found different things. When looking at things and when observing, we make judgments, don't we? We only see part of the picture. We're often quick to make up our minds, especially when it comes to other people. Next slide, please. We watch others behave in one way or another, and we make our minds up about them. And you know we can do that incredibly quickly. Did you know that studies have shown that when attending a job interview in front of a panel of four, three out of the four have made up their minds within 30 seconds of the time the candidate has entered and sat down, what they think about them. 30 seconds it takes. We're very, very fast to make judgments. And very often, I'm afraid to say, those judgments are not right. We look at the outside. 
we see only a tiny fraction of people's lives. The wonderful thing is God looks at the heart. He sees the whole picture. In truth, very often, the harshest judgment we make is not about others. It's about ourselves. We often feel unworthy, unsuitable, unholy. We feel, how could Jesus possibly love me? We judge ourselves and find ourselves wanting. Yet because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can be acceptable to God. We can approach his throne of grace with confidence. The result is, it should be a very small thing, therefore, to any of us, if or when our Christian efforts or our spiritual life is criticized or praised whether by fellow Christians or whether by worldly people. As Paul says in verse 3, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. The Greek word judged comes from the original, which means to investigate, to question, or to evaluate. So when he says whether I'm judged by you, he says whether I'm investigated by you, I'm questioned by you, or evaluated by you. It does not mean to determine guilt or innocence. Paul is pointing out that only God has the right and authority to do that. Only God knows the complete truth about you, me, and all of us. We can benefit greatly from the counsel of a wise spiritual friend and sometimes from the blast of Christian unbelievers as well. But no human being is qualified to determine the legitimacy, the quality, and the faithfulness of our work for the Lord. We're not even qualified to determine these things for ourselves. So in verse 4, Paul notes, he knew of no serious sin or deficiency in his own life, but he knew he could be wrong in that personal assessment. He knew only Christ could be his judge. Others looking on might say, come on, we've all, we all have a conscience, we know when we sin. Paul does not reject this criticism, rather he reminds us there is only one authoritative judge and that the time for judgment had not yet come. So, the main reason for Paul's clear conscience was the fact that God justifies by virtue of the cross. In verse 4 when Paul says, he has a clear conscience, it's because of what Jesus has done for him on the cross, paying the price for his sin, as well as yours and mine, for all time. He didn't have a conscience because he hadn't done anything wrong. He had a conscience because he knew Jesus had paid the price for it. And that's the same for you and me. Come with me a moment to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 to 25. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but it's quite good to have it in front of you in the Bible as well. So Hebrews, I'll find Hebrews, comes after Philemon, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters... 
since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let me just repeat that. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Although this comes from Hebrews, I think this in many ways encapsulates what Paul was trying to convey in our passage today. We're nearly there. We're coming to verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The only evaluation that makes a difference is the Lord's. Simple, really. The only judgment that makes a difference, the only thing that's important, the only thing that we'll all stand in front of the Lord one day in his bright light will be the Lord's opinion. And we can stand there with confidence if we know Jesus and we put our sins before him, knowing that the sacrifices he paid have been paid for us. It's the law that will judge and examine me. Oh, me, this examination counts. Paul follows the advice he gave to Timothy and to Timothy. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Be diligent, sorry, diligent to present yourself approved to God. Paul was not concerned about presenting himself to others for approval, but only to his Lord. I want you to think for a minute. Imagine how freeing up this could be. If you're only concerned about one thing, and that's God's judgment, and the way you live your life. We often live by rather shallow standards. We might want to please our parents. Nothing wrong with that, but you might want to please your parents. We might want to please our boss. We might want to please our partner, or just ourselves. Maybe our own expectations. But they don't often amount to much, do they, when we do that? However, when we live to please God, every task, every effort and action will result in God receiving the glory. It's quite a difficult one to follow, but it's a very good one to aim for. Try and set your life to do things to please the Lord. When the Lord comes, all things will be exposed in his brilliant light, Paul tells us. Atrocities, war crimes, greed, cruelty, heartlessness, homelessness, things that we're witnessing, they're all going to come to light. 
It's quite a thought, isn't it? One day we'll stand before the Lord. Nothing, no one there except for Jesus. If you've asked him into your life, as Daniel was saying. Sometimes people think they can get there through good deeds. But actually, it's just through the Son, what Jesus did for us. So just to conclude, let's try and behave like underbrows. Working away, helping our bit in the church, not looking for things, not looking for praise, everybody doing their bit, relying on the Lord to guide the way. Be good and faithful stewards of the gospel of Christ. I don't know whether you, any of you caught it, Trevor Stammers on Welsh radio today. They were talking about organ donation. I was so proud of him. Uh, they had a Muslim, of course. They had Trevor, and they had another lady who started a charity. And it was about the ethics of organ donation. Out comes Trevor and gives us the whole gospel of Jesus Christ um, during his first statement. He went on for about 10 minutes, and I, I just thought, I was cheering away. <laughs> if you can catch it, um, you should be able to. There is a link, I think. He'll give you a link um, so you can hear the recording of it. But he was being a good steward for the gospel of Christ. I was so proud of him. And let's leave judgment to the Lord. Let's not judge one another. We'll get it wrong. we always get it wrong. And let's try and do what pleases him. And let's give Jesus all the glory while we're doing it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we have the privilege to look into your book. We thank you for Paul's message to the Corinthians. It's so appropriate in this, this worldly world that we live in and one that is so fallen. We know that we can only rely on you, Lord, in everything that we do, and we know that you will not let us down. And we just pray, Lord, we'll carry that with us as we watch all these horrors and we feel so bewildered and lost. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.